Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill as always, and happy to report that Colin has a new mic cord this week. So hopefully we'll be able to just do this in one full take without any technical difficulties. Yeah, I don't really want to make any promises to you, Dan, right now, but you know that is the goal here, and, I, and yeah, I'm, I'm, prob- a, I'm a little optimistic. Should probably uh, knock on wood right here. Uh, after saying that, it's probably not a smart thing to say. But uh, Colin's got a new mic, and you know, Colin, we're, we're continuing to social distance. You know, it, it's still a weird time, but I, I, this is the first week in a couple months where I really feel optimistic. I really feel confident coming on here and saying, I really think we're going to have a college football season this fall. Well, then I look forward to next week. You swing back around and saying, God, uh, you know, I'm not really feeling it right now. Because to be honest, like every time I feel overly optimistic, I try and take a step back because I do the same when I feel overly pessimistic. Because I'll be honest, like just I, I just fluctuate so often just based on what I hear. And there are just so many voices who are trying to, to get heard right now. I think it's as hard as any time in, in recent memory just to piece apart what you should listen to what will be important and what's sort of just ancillary i agree with you on that and, and i'm the same way i mean i'm someone who i think always kind of tries to take the the devil's advocate point of view on things where if if somebody's really pumping something up and is really optimistic about something i kind of try to throw the cold water on it and if somebody's really down on something i kind of try to uh talk about why it's good that's just kind of a way i am i kind of i kind of look for that uh, opposing view and everything but this week does feel a little bit different to me it, it, it with some of the momentum that's happening you know we just saw some some live sports happen in the past couple of weeks of you know, ufc and nascar and golf starting to come back and you know we're hearing more and more about states open i mean literally as we're recording right now on tuesday afternoon ohio is talking about uh, lifting more of its orders and, uh, you know, really the stay-at-home order is essentially over now at this point. And uh, the NCAA at some point on Wednesday after this podcast goes live is is supposed to vote on potentially ending the moratorium on team activities. So there's still a lot of questions left to be answered. But it does feel like there's very real momentum at this point toward sports happening again and i think one way or another there's gonna be football this fall at least at least you know i i feel optimistic at this point yep i i feel the same way like you said though there's there is a ton that still has to happen between now and then and every single passing day you look at the calendar and you're like well what do they have left to, to make a decision a month or so now um a month and a half, maybe, if you give them till the end of June. I just think that, you know, in the next few weeks, I, I do think that um, if this is all going to happen, then then we're going to start to to see foreshadowing of it pretty pretty heavily. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we're going to learn a lot in in the next month for sure. Um, as I mentioned, the NCAA uh, supposed to vote on Wednesday regarding ending the moratorium on organized team activities. Uh, Big Ten has currently suspended organized team activities through June 1, um, but it sounds like their uh, president's meeting on June 7 it could be a time where they start to make some more concrete decisions on what could happen this fall. So I think we're going to learn more 
in the next few weeks. I think we're most likely going to have a football season. I think that's most likely going to be without 100,000 fans in Ohio Stadium, but uh, still a lot to be determined there. But what I wanted to start this week's episode talking about is about some of the challenges the players might face in in terms of you know getting through this unusual offseason and ultimately preparing for the season because we talked to uh, Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis on a teleconference last week. That was the first time that we talked to any Ohio State player since this entire thing has started. Uh, we also talked to Mickey Mirati, the director of sports performance, who talked some about uh, kind of how he's helping players get through this situation and, and what it's like for him. And so I kind of wanted to get into that, but we wanted to we wanted to bring in someone else who could kind of help us uh, give some of his own perspective on this and and maybe you know give us some more insight on how Ohio State will address some of these questions. So we're going to bring in Joshua Perry, of course, the former Ohio State linebacker who's now an analyst for the Big Ten Network and also a co-host of the Eleven Warriors Radio Hour. So uh, a good friend of ours who we always love having on, and uh, we're going to bring him on and and kind of hear what he has to say about some of the challenges that players might face, as, as well as some other fun topics as well. Pleased to welcome in Joshua Perry to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, former Ohio State linebacker and, of course, uh, the co-host of the 11 Warriors Radio Hour. So thanks so much for joining us this week, Joshua. I really appreciate it. No, I'm definitely glad to be on with you all. It's such a you know crazy time. You know, really, first question for you is just, how are you doing? How are your family doing with everything that's going on with COVID-19? It is crazy. I think crazy is the, the definite word to describe it, but um, we're all managing. And I think the longer that we've kind of been in this climate, the more we've all been able to figure out exactly how this thing is going to go. Um, and so my, my daily routine has changed a lot. I think the amount of contact with um, people in the outside world, including some of my family members, has definitely changed. But that doesn't mean that uh, we've lost contact or anything like that. And of course, I've been able to build new habits and, um, you know, discover new TV shows and find new hobbies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've been fortunate enough too to, um, you know, still be uh, employed and making money during this time, which I know a lot of people are struggling with right now. And, uh, you know, I'm really thinking about those folks. But um, overall, I've, I've kind of taken this and I've been fortunate enough to take this, uh, this time and turn maybe what would be an obstacle into um, something that's a catalyst for growth. So kind of excited about that. It's always, it's always a good thing to, you know, be employed and to try to make the best out of a situation like this. Obviously there's so much talk about, you know, how this is going to affect the upcoming football season. And when you think about it from a player's perspective for, you know, Ohio state or, or any other team, you know, you know what it's like to be in those shoes to, to go through a full off season, what are the biggest things the players are are missing out on right now that they've missed out on over the past couple months that they typically be going through and preparing for a season? Well, I think it's really two major things that they're missing out on, and one to probably a stronger degree than the other. I think the first is team building, and this is probably to a lesser degree that they're missing out on it um, because of the ability to get on Zoom conferences. Uh, to be able to, to get into the playbook and also uh, to develop leadership that way. And I know specifically in the linebacker room, 
Um, they, they let the, the players take charge of teaching the installs and making sure that everybody's on the same page and understanding what's going on. And I think that's a great challenge in developing leadership. Um, I think it's a great challenge in also making sure that the players are understanding um, everything they need to do within the scheme. Now, the major thing that they're struggling with and the major thing that everybody across college football is going to struggle with is the physical aspect of it. Uh, when you send these guys home, um, a lot of them don't have the workout equipment even comparable to what they would see on campus. Many of them don't have, um, you know, a football field or a track to run on. Um, and the nutrition has probably fallen off for many of these players. So I think from the physical aspect, one thing to be aware of is the readiness. And what I mean by that is um, the timing on the field in terms of knowing the scheme, but how does it actually happen in real time? I think physical strength and speed is going to be something that maybe has fallen off for some players, but also uh, these guys are probably going to be a little bit more prone to injury this upcoming season just based off of the fact that they haven't been able to get in, um, get massages in the training room, make sure that they're getting physical therapy when needed. Um, and, and I know, I mean, it's football. It's a physical sport, and, and obviously um, the finesse in the game is the physical ability of the players. So everybody's going to be behind there, but um, I'll be curious to see how they handle that challenge once they're able to get hands-on with players on campus uh, to really bring them up to speed in an accelerated way. What are the Joshua, biggest? What do you, go ahead, Colin. I was going to ask what What do you think is a bigger deal? Um, the The fact that they missed the majority of spring practice, or the fact that you know they're not going to be able to enroll maybe when they normally would during the summer, and you also don't totally know when fall camp is going to be, and if it's going to be um, as long as it as as it normally is, um, if there's going to be different types of restrictions, or just there's so much uncertainty there. I just wonder is is that is that as big a deal as not having spring? Is it a bigger deal? Well, how, how do you weigh that in your mind? Uh, it's really hard to weigh right now. I think that's a wonderful question. And, and when you have veteran players, um, the spring ball aspect doesn't necessarily mean as much. It, 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 it means a lot, but not nearly as much because, you know, Justin Fields is in first year in the playbook right now. And you have a linebacker group um, that has some veteran players and they know exactly what's going on that can command the defense. Um, you know, the offensive line, I think, will be in pretty good shape. But then you turn around and you have a back end um, of your defense where the secondary is basically brand new and those guys need to be brought up to speed. And I think that's where the challenge lies. But once you get past spring ball, um, you get all of your freshmen on campus in the summer. They're able to develop their bodies. They're able to learn the playbook. They're able to understand how football is supposed to be played at the collegiate level. And then all of the other players on the roster, too, have those same opportunities. And then they're able to enhance it through um, some of the position drills that go on, through some of the seven-on-seven seven that the players are able to call themselves um, without necessarily having coaches around. All of those things help um, the team grow and, and really help develop skills. So for spring ball, I, I think that um, if, if you felt like you could get players on campus during the summer, you feel like you could maybe reclaim some of those reps and some of that learning. Although, um, you know, reps are really hard to come by in general. But uh, when you compound that with the fact that the summer workout schedule is going to be interrupted in some form or fashion, I think it definitely exacerbates losing spring ball. Whenever the team is allowed to return to campus, what are the biggest things they're going to have to do to be able to make up for lost time, to be able to uh, be prepared for the season, to try to limit uh, an increase in injuries? Well, I, I think the coaches are going to have to be on top of everything. They're going to have to be very evaluation friendly 
um, during the, the period when players first get back to campus. I think they're going to want to do um, a lot of functional movement screenings. They need to probably do full body scans. They need to do, uh, they need to obviously weigh the guys in. They should do body fat tests. I think they should have a light conditioning test um, just to kind of gauge where everybody's lungs are at at that point in time. I think they need to also do some, some weight tests to see where everybody's strength is at, at that moment. And then they can tailor um, kind of where their starting point is um, for their summer program and where they want to end based off of where they're beginning. And I, I, if you can't do that evaluation properly, you can't do it accurately, um, then I, I really don't think that you can develop where guys are at. Because if, if, you know, if I come in, and this is going to be one of the bigger challenges too, if I come in and I've been you know, running every day and I have a weight room and a squat rack and everything else that I have access to, I'm going to be further along than somebody who maybe you know, they, they, they live in a city where it's not necessarily as easy to get sprints in and, and they don't have the type of weight equipment, so they've only been doing push-ups. Um, and, and so being able to also tailor plans to guys who are maybe at different levels in their training once they get back will be key. But it all starts with an evaluation, Coach Mick probably one of the best in America um, at evaluating players in terms of um, their, their physical fitness and then developing weight plans for them. I think they'll have no problem doing it. Joshua, take me back. What would your quarantine workout have been if you had to go through this? My quarantine workout, I would have definitely had a jump rope. Um, I'm not a huge runner in terms of, you know, like jogging for miles. So I would have had to cut that out for sure. Um, I would have, I would have, probably gone over to Allen Creek and found somewhere where I could maybe get in some short sprints, maybe Hoover over in Westerville. Um, and then I, I had a bench in my parents' basement, so I would have been able to get some, some uh, good workouts there, but we didn't have necessarily a great way to squat. Um, so I probably would have found, we, we lived um, backing up to a nature preserve, so I might have found maybe a big log in the back, uh, in the woods somewhere and brought that over and maybe squatted with that, but it would have been a challenge for sure. I wish we could have seen that. Yeah, it would have been a sight. <laughs> Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis were both on a teleconference last week, and, and they both said they would, quote-unquote, do anything to play, even signing a waiver. I'm curious, from your perspective, would you have done that back when you were playing, and would you do it now? Um, I think almost anybody would have done it. Um, you know, and it's because that's where we're most comfortable as athletes. We, you know, we feel we have a sense of belonging. We have, um, a sense of purpose when we're competing. Um, and it's, it's, you know, like I said, reps are hard to come by. So in saying that too, when you lose these reps, some of these guys are going to be on their way out. You never know when you might be able to suit up again, scarlet and gray. Um, back in when I was playing, I would have been all in on it. You know, I'd have found a way to, to make sure I was out on the field, even if that meant that I couldn't spend much time around. Um, friends and family outside of workouts, I would have I would have made that sacrifice for sure because the game is that important. Um, and I, I truly feel that a lot of players will um, will live a very restrictive lifestyle if need be um, to make sure that they can compete on the levels that they want to. What do you think are the biggest things that need to happen in order to protect players' safety whenever? the green light is given for guys to return to the field to play in games? So that's a really unique question. And I, I kind of talked about it on um, a different show I was on, but I, I think it's um, disingenuous and, and, and damn near impossible to, to 
tell these guys that they have to keep distance while they're at the facility because naturally they're going to want to dap each other up. Naturally, the lockers are too close to even try to uh, create a locker room space where guys aren't, aren't in close quarters getting dressed together. Um, it's going to be too hard to say you can only have 10 players in the facility at a time. You know, it, it would take it would take 12, 15 hours to, to get a, a workout in, um, spacing the guys out like that. So I, I think we kind of have to be real with that. Instead of saying that you can't have X, Y, and Z amount of contact, that you would limit such contact. Um, widespread testing, I think, needs to be available um, just so everybody can understand everybody's status. They need to probably take temperatures on the way into the facility. Um, they should swab guys if they show any symptoms, that type of situation as well. Um, and then uh, the sanitation processes have to be down pat. And, and it's just it's a high-touch point scenario when you're in a football facility. Uh, showers, locker room, weight room, on the field, you know, you're t tossing the football around. Um, the equipment room is probably going to be a bit of a cesspool uh, for some of these uh, pathogens to develop. So I think maybe having a, a system down and how they're going to sanitize all of those areas to ensure safety um, is going to be big. But at the end of the day, I think it's like anything else. You play the game of football, it's an inherent risk. I retired because of concussions. You, you know, there, there are plenty of, of things that can uh, be detrimental to your health. Um, and so if these guys come back, I think it also has to be a known risk um, on everybody's behalf. And, and nobody should um, feel pressure. Nobody should be ostracized if they think the risk is too high. But again, you know, the, these guys are playing a risky game, so I doubt any of them are, are going to worry too much as long as is, they have a, a plan in place that shows that it's going to be safe to come back. When they get back into that um, into that locker room and they're able to, to get back onto the field, just how prepared do you think this roster is? Because I think it's interesting earlier when you were talking about how, you know, the linebacker has a lot of veterans. Obviously, Justin Fields is a returning starter. The, the offensive line, there's a lot to like there. But then if you look at the defensive backfield, it's pretty young. You got some young receivers who you think they're going to rely on a lot to replace on the defensive line. When you look up and down this roster, is is this a roster you think is going to be set up to succeed when they come back and, and have been away for so long? Or are there is there a reason for concern at certain areas? I think everybody should be concerned. Every school, every roster, there's, there's an area of concern because you've missed so much precious time. But um, these are these are three things to me that that separate um, you know the the teams that'll probably do better than the teams that won't. Quarterback having a veteran quarterback who's played football before, not just a guy who has been on the roster, but a guy who has been on the field who has started games and has shown success is huge. Um, having a defensive core, which is the linebacker specifically, in the middle of that defense who can get the offensive or get the defensive line lined up and can communicate to the back end of the defense and really run the show um, on the field is huge. And then um, having a, a coach who is competent and trusted and has shown success. And so if you take a team like uh, Michigan State, for example, um, you know, had some – they struggled on defense last year, but, you know, Joe Bocci was out toward the end of the year. He was kind of the heart and soul at linebacker, um, you know, whatever the case is there. Uh, the work you play in quarterback, that's done, um, and you have a brand-new coach. Like, that, it, it could be a disaster for them. Like, I, I just don't know how they're going to have a ton of success the way that their roster is set up and having a new coaching staff. But um, when you have some of those pieces in place, I think it's a lot easier to fill it in. Do you think the culture that's been created 
by Ryan Day, by Mickey Marotti, sets Ohio State up to come out of this stronger than most other teams will? I, I think the culture has always been a big differentiator for uh, schools like Ohio State, and specifically at OSU. I know um, the, the foundation that um, Urban laid when I was there, and, and Coach Mick was able to be um, you know, a, a big support of that foundation, and then um, Ryan being on the staff with Urban and then kind of coming in and, and, and taking all of the great things Urban did and then even infusing some of his own things, which have been fantastic, um, is definitely going to help Ohio State in this situation. I think that Ryan has created a place uh, where guys have been asked to be pros and be mature. Um, there's been less hand-holding um, than when Urban was there, which I, I think is great because now you send these – so think about it like this. With Urban, there was, there was some more hand-holding. Like every meeting that we had, there would be a text message sent out to make sure guys were on time. Um, and then Ryan Day comes in and he says, we're not doing that anymore. If they don't know what time the meeting is, then they're going to be late and they have to face the consequences. So now you send these guys off into the world on their own and you task them with being responsible and nobody's there to remind them and nobody's there to make sure they're doing X, Y, and Z. So they've already trained their, their habits to be able to do it on their own. Um, and I think that's what's going to prepare them. I think um, understanding the, the brotherhood that exists there and how, um, you know, if you take this time off and you don't do what's right for yourself, you're really hurting others more in the process is big for them. So I expect to see a team that's going to be motivated, purpose-driven, but also a team that um, maybe hasn't fallen off as much as some of the other programs around college football just based off of the chemistry of that locker room and the makeup of the coaching staff. As a player, how much did you feed off of the fans' energy and how much will it change the game if the stands are empty for a player? Well, uh, if it's a noon or a 3.30 game, it's, it's not as big of a deal. Um, and Ohio State's playing a ton of night games. They played in 3.30 games, which are better than noon environments, too. Um, but the night game environments, I think, are really where it makes a difference um, because everything, it seems like, is more electric at that time. And, um, you know, folks have been drinking since 5 a.m. outside the stadium and, you know, just, just getting right for, for the game. Um, and... You know, something about the night game, which is typically a big matchup that gets the fans more involved. So I think that's where it'll fall off. Um, but if we're talking about a, a noon environment, if we're talking about a 3.30 environment, I, I, I felt sometimes, not to disparage Ohio State fans, but um, you walk in for a noon game and, and people are still filtering in from tailgate. Um, you know, it's still a little bit sleepy. Uh, people knocking the crust out their eyes up there and see that. Um, you know, it, it just it didn't have that energy right off the jump. Um, so I don't know if it's that big of a difference. It's like a spring game, essentially. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Go and on, do you have any more? Or yeah, I was gonna I was gonna roll off uh, a few rapid fires, Joshua, because I don't know if you remember, but I I just remember watching Sports Center growing up. They'd always have you know like the the Miller six pack or whatnot, and I was you know, I was figured you know what I'm gonna bring this podcast form throw it back a little bit to you as an Ohio State player and ask uh, six questions, sort of rapid fire for you. Um, number one, and you sort of referenced this just a little bit ago, what was your favorite kickoff time as an Ohio State player? Man, it had to be the prime time. Let me get a 7.30, 8 o'clock kick. Um, and if <laughs> I get that kick on the road, to be completely honest, I would rather take it there just because it's a little bit more hostile and it gets you fired up more. Number two, I know everyone's been watching The Last Dance the past five or so weeks. 
Is there anyone who, when you're watching Michael Jordan's personality, just reminded you um, reminded you of them who who maybe you played with or, or played for when you were at Ohio State? Oh man, um, yeah, two people, and it's it's more of the um, the the brash demeanor. Uh, the way I watched Taylor Decker encourage some of the young O linemen in the room um, was ridiculous like he i mean he was he was genuinely an a-hole to those guys to try to make them become great players um and, and that wasn't necessarily my approach but i always respected it because if you can be, get guys to become great um then you get them to become great so that would probably be number one and then number two um it's kind of a name you wouldn't expect and it, it, you know because he had his issues when he was leaving ohio state but noah spence was very similar too where um he used to do that he i mean he was he was just awful with the O line and like he would make them miserable and it was try to make them better. And it was the same thing with the D line. And like, he was, you know, telling guys that they were soft and that you can't do this and you'll never play here type of stuff just to get them to respond to it. Um, so I really appreciated that too. This, this might go a little bit off that. What is the best play that you ever saw someone make in an Ohio state practice? I don't know if there's any that stand out. Ah. Uh, the reason I thought of this question, I'll just say, is because I, I feel like we went once every two weeks this past year just hearing about some catch that Garrett Wilson made in practice. And I was like, I just want to see some of these. Yeah, and I, that's what I was getting ready to say. Like, if I had to point to something, it'd probably be a Mike Thomas, Noah Brown, one-handed catch. You know, and, and Mike, I'll, I'll say, going back to the Jordan thing, Mike Thomas is Michael Jordan for football, honestly. Like, I don't know why that wasn't, like, my first thought. Um and I don't know if you guys saw, like, he was just he was just talking trash to somebody on Instagram the other day. Like, yeah, he Parker. He's, yeah, he believes he's the greatest of all time. Um, he works effortlessly, uh, you know, just to to become uh, exactly what he wants to be. He's earned all the money that he's he's gotten his contract. But um, he was like that Ohio State too, where you know it'd be late nights and he would be getting after guys. And I remember the way he tormented Eli Apple, and Eli was a first round pick. Um, but he, I mean, he, he would dog him and then he would torment him after dogging him. Like it was just, it was great to watch. When, when did an Ohio state coach light into you the most and did you deserve it? Um, okay. So Luke Fickle, um, during practice, we were preparing for Minnesota in 2014. They were running a, um, they were running a jet sweep. The scout team was, and we were like balls in the middle of the field. Um, so they had a, a, a ton of width to either side. Um, and I bypassed the wide receiver because of the angle of the running back to go make the play. Um, I'm supposed to box it in, send the play inside, but if I can make it, I make it. And coach Fick laid into me and he's like, he didn't do it right. And all this other stuff. And I was sitting there pissed. I was like, no coach, I did it right. And he's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, coach, that's exactly how we drew it up. He's like, well, do it again. It's not right. Ah, he's just going in. So I was pissed off at that point. So we run it again. And, um, I, I hit the scout team running back so hard. His body was parallel before it hit the ground. Um, and then I took my helmet off. I stared Coach Fick down. And then I walked, like, I didn't even walk to the sideline. I just walked to, like, all the way into the end zone and just took a knee and I was staring him down. Um, and I, I'm not that type of guy typically, but he, he pissed me off because he told me I was wrong when I was right. And I don't like that very much. I love that you still remember that this many years later. <laughs> Oh, Every single detail of it, you just not, it right there. 
And uh, so two more. So who was who was the most com- who's the competitive guy who just every single day in practice would just bring it and 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 maybe you went like, dude, this is just walkthroughs, like chill out a little bit, but they could not even possibly tone it back a little bit. Um, so guy actually ended up earning a scholarship his final year at Ohio State. He was linebacker Craig Feta. Um, I could remember him being down on scout team and they would just be walking through plays and he would like, he would try to put somebody on their back. And I can remember Ed Warner screaming, Fada, just get out. It's a walkthrough. We don't need it right now. And Fada would be like, Oh, I'm just trying to make sure these guys are ready for the game coach. Like he was literally like everything was basically, you better make sure that you got your helmet tightened up with Craig lined up across from you because he only had one speed and that was full. That's perfect. That's the perfect walk on too. Lastly, um, I, I know your careers overlap just a little bit. Is there a good Joe Burrow story that you have that you can tell? Because I think it is fascinating that you know this guy was at Ohio State for a few years, and and obviously he's the celebrity he is right now. But back then he was just another quarterback in the room. Yeah, no, um, I, I think it was mostly um, uh, Cardell Jones and JT Barrett hazing him. You know, just the the young guy in the room, and he, he took his lumps. Um, but, you know, he, he was one of those cats. That the, probably the biggest thing I remember about him is he just came to work. You know, it wasn't a lot of talking. It wasn't a lot of, uh, um, you know, look at me type stuff. It was going to the weight room, grind, go out in the field, you know, play scout team, make the team better. Um, didn't say a whole hell of a lot to anybody um, that first year he was there. Uh, it was for good reasons because he was trying to really level up his game and, and be a team player. Um, so watching his career evolve, even from 2018 to 19, where he truly ex- uh, exploded, was was really awesome. Um, I wish that cat nothing but the best because you know he's. I mean, he got it from the bottom, made it all the way up to the top. Not a lot of guys can say that. He did. He did. That 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 was that that was great stuff, Joshua. And I am gonna remember that that uh, the fickle story for a while now. And I won't forget it. Before- <laughs> Before we let you go here, do you, what's kind of your gut feeling on what this college football season is going to look like this fall? Um, we get football. I think we get it um, early, I guess, on time. Um, now, whether we end up playing a full season uh, once November, December, January hits, I can't, I can't try to predict that. But the way uh, everybody's talking about it, you know, folks from the SEC, but also even schools in the Big Ten, um, Notre Dame, etc. There's not a doubt in my mind that we will have football come September, um, and everybody, I think, will be happy to see it. I agree with you, and I'm, I'm certainly, I certainly hope we're right because I certainly know that uh, four months from now we want to be talking about uh, real, actual football happening. Is there yeah. anything else uh, about any of this that we should have asked you, Joshua, but we didn't? No, I think we covered it all. You know, like I said before, it's such a unique time. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for uh, all the folks who've been grinding through this. Um, obviously, our medical professionals, hospital workers, um, delivery workers, folks working out in grocery stores, HVAC technicians, plumbers, everybody who has to go into people's homes and fix problems, that kind of stuff. Um, truly folks that, that really support what we're doing. You know, we get to sit back and talk football, which is a fun job. And I know a lot of people have the hard job, so I'm just hoping and praying that we can get some semblance of reality come fall so maybe those people have a little bit of a moment to relax and enjoy themselves on a fall Saturday.
So, so true. I think this definitely puts in perspective the fact that uh, what, what we do in the grand scheme of things, uh, as big as it can feel at times, as much as we enjoy it, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of different things to to really change and impact the world. And uh, we should always be grateful to them. Definitely. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do it again sometime. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us on Real Pod Wednesdays. Yeah, just let me know when I can get back. Thanks again to Joshua for joining us on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, one thing I learned from that, Colin, is if Joshua's right about something, you better not tell him he's wrong. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's definitely the case. I also learned that you're the Craig Fade of podcasters. <laughs> I, I'm good with that. I'm, no I'm days good off, with that. baby. You you know you know I have a soft spot in my heart for walk-ons, and you also know that I I have one speed go. So uh, I'm 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 cool with that. No, that's a that, that's a good one. I love that I love that fickle story too. That was the way he put it too. I was just envisioning it in my head, and you know I can I can I can even see that look that he says he gave him when he when he kneeled down. Yeah, I I, I could abs- absolutely see that. I I. I don't envision that being something that, that Joshua would have been doing on the field every day, but uh, I could I could definitely envision uh, that scene as he described it. Yeah, no, it's it is perfect too that you know this many years later he can give you a rundown of every single detail that happened on the in those two minutes. Well, you know Joshua's a smart guy. That's why we love uh, having him on here. Um, you know we we've, we've been fortunate to have him uh, work with us a lot here at Eleven Warriors over the last couple years and. He always offers great insight, and and I, I really did, uh, you know, enjoy you know hearing some of what he had to say about uh, this situation and, and and players returning because I thought you know he made some really good points. Um, you know, I wasn't surprised to hear what he said about he would have absolutely signed a waiver and that he thinks the vast majority of guys will because I I, I really do think that's the case, but you know I, I think it just kind of gives a a lens into the, the, the mindset of, of these football players that, you know, I, I think, you know, for us and, and for people on the outside, we have to kind of discuss all of it. And I think sometimes maybe we think uh, most about the worst and the possible things that could go wrong. And, and we have to, because this is a serious situation. But I, I think when you just think of a player's mindset, you know, you know those guys want those guys just want to get back on the field. Those guys want to play, and and they're gonna do whatever they have to do to get out there and play. Because like Joshua said, I mean he he had concussions. He had to make a tough decision to retire from the NFL early because of that. And these guys are already accepting an inherent risk by playing the game of football. Period. So I I think you know if, if the door is open for these guys to come back and play. Even if they have to sign waivers, I'm sure there will be a few guys who who maybe decide you know they don't want to play. But I I think at Ohio State, I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't all want to come back and play right away. And that's a good transition to what Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis talked about on a teleconference um, last week that that you were on, and you know they 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 expressed a similar sentiment, and that you know whatever it takes. 
no, no matter what, whether it's waivers, whether it's playing in front of fans, it doesn't matter in their mind. They just want to get back on the field. And I'll say this, um, like I wasn't on it, but uh, on the teleconference with you guys, I let you handle that and I was doing something else. Um, but I will say it was a good, I, I do think it was fresh to get a player's perspective because we had talked to so many people surrounding them. Um, but to have their voices uh, being heard, I think that really does matter in this in this process. Absolutely, and I, I think you know, I think for those of us in the media, I think we were really glad to finally be able to ask those questions to actual players on the team, and you know, hopefully, we'll get the opportunity to talk to some more here uh, pretty soon. But it is it, it, the players are a really important voice in all of this because. Yes, a lot of these decisions are being made by athletic directors and, and university presidents and, and coaches, but ultimately the players at one the players are the ones that are gonna be the most at risk here. The players are the ones who, you know, they've they've gotta go out there and play. The players are the ones, or the NCA wants you to know it or not, the players are the ones who are the reason why everybody makes so much money off of college football. So it's really important for them to have a voice and you know, I think I think Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, quite honestly, were two perfect guys to kind of lead that conversation for Ohio State because they're both they're both really smart, really eloquent guys who you know really think about uh, you know their answers when you ask them questions. And I think they're two guys that are, are probably both near the top of our list of guys we enjoy talking to because uh, you know they're just guys who uh, you know really really have a lot to say and. They're, they really they really think about the things they say you know I thought you know Josh Myers you know kind of shared some perspective in terms of you know when he thinks about getting uh, COVID-19 you know his biggest fear would be if he got it would be potentially passing it along to his family he doesn't want to get it himself but even he thought about at least if we're playing at least if we're back on campus and I'm away from my family as hard as that would be to be away from them, at least I wouldn't be be passing it on to them. And I think that's kind of a, a window into what some players' perspectives might be. Because I even th- you know I even think of that from my perspective. I know you know being somebody who you know is apart from my family who who does not live here uh, with me in Ohio. I I kind of have a, my perspective where it's like I don't want to get sick, but at least I know okay if I'm sick. I, I'm not necessarily at risk of passing it along to to my family members. Where a lot of guys, you know, if they're at home right now, you know, that's going to be a primary concern for them. Yeah, no, it is. It that that's a good point too. And you know, I've actually I've been over to my parents' house maybe two or three times during all of this, and and every time we have to socially distance from six feet away, which is weird. But you know, I guess that's just what we got to do these days to stay safe. What? During that um, teleconference, did you think was um, that that we haven't touched on yet? That did you think was maybe the most important thing that was said, or the thing that stuck with you the most a week later? Well, I think you know it really was the fact that you know those guys said you know they would do anything to play, and and you know I think Josh Myers when he was asked about it, he he said it would be a nightmare to be honest with you if Ohio State didn't have a football season. And I think, you know, you, you just tell from talking to those two guys how much this means to them. And, you know, you think about someone like a Wyatt Davis, 
he could have gone to the NFL this year. I mean, he, he, he would have been an early round draft pick. He, he could have gone to the NFL. He came back because he, he, you know, really wants to play in every year at Ohio State. I mean, Josh Myers could have done the same thing. And those guys are back because they really want to, you know, play at Ohio State. I mean, Wyatt Davis, it was, I think, talked about, you know, the loss to Clemson last year and how much that stuck with him and how he'll never forget the looks on the seniors' faces when they, you know, knew that their careers had just ended that way and how much that drove them. And, you know, I think back to, you know, earlier in the offseason when, you know, Mickey Marotti was talking about, you know, the sign in the weight room and how much that motivates them. And, you know, you think about just how how much this team wanted to get back out there and, you know, have a chance to, you know, make another run and to have it potentially taken away from them. I mean, you can hear you know, the angst in someone like Josh Myers knowing that, you know, I mean, I mean, this is someone, Josh Myers from Ohio, who has dreamed of playing for Ohio State football for his whole life. And, you know, even having two more years of eligibility, the idea of losing one of those seasons, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing, you know, for, for someone in that position to, to, to wrap their head around. So, you know, I, I think that was really a big takeaway from it for me is that, you know, you know these these guys understand the risk. Again, these are smart guys. Uh, you know, they they understand the risks. They understand, you know, they you know they talked about being willing to sacrifice. You know, Josh Myers talked about whether he has to quarantine himself in his apartment or whatever he has to do. Uh, you know, these guys are willing to make sacrifices so, so that they can play football, and, but they just want to play more than anything else yeah and i think that that's going to be an opinion shared by by a lot um there's i think that i think there there, there are two aspects that are um that I, that i would separate this into and there's one that's like sort of the surface level question and, and that's I, that i think is sort of an answer and that's like do players want to get back and play like do they would they feel safe enough is this something that they want to do and is this, is this something that the colleges want to do and i and i really do think that that's a resounding yes like i, I think that all i think that the vast majority of players i wouldn't say all just because there's a lot of there there are a lot of there are a lot Absolutely. of college football players out there but i would say the vast majority of players i think um would want to play football even if you know there are really tight restrictions you aren't able to do things um, and I think that absolutely the colleges would all want college football to come back this year. And, and that's why ultimately I do think that there is going to be football. I think that when it gets complicated is when you start thinking about the particulars because there are so, so, so many questions about how to do certain things. Can you do this? Can you not do this? Is this enough? Is this not enough? And I also think at the end of the day, like there are just going to be a lot of things that we don't know. Like, or should like what happens if if someone gets a positive test that that that's one question I'll, I have right now that I don't really know the answer to and I think is gonna be a really interesting um, thing that they're gonna have to figure out because if if there's one positive test you can't cancel the college football season because I could I cannot believe that they, they could go through a season without any positive tests that sounds crazy to me so if that's a realistic possibility like what what's going to be the recourse there are are they going to have to sit out two weeks is everyone going to have to going to have to get tested that day 
for like I, I just I think that once you get into the details, I think that's where it gets tough. But the reason why I'm a I'm I'm probably more optimistic than a month or two ago that there's going to be a season is because I think everybody wants to play. I'm not sure that there are many people who sit who are sitting back and saying I, I don't want to play. Um, there are people who are sitting back and saying I want to play, but I want to make sure it's safe, and that's entirely reasonable. But I think that I think the the overwhelming majority is you know there's a sentiment among all parties that they want that that they want college football this fall. Yeah, that's an enormous question regarding you know what happens when there's a positive test and you know I think Joshua made a good point when he talked about we need to be realistic here. We you know we can talk about you know splitting guys up into workout groups and and social distancing and all that but we got to be realistic. That's not really going to happen in football. It's, it's it's not really possible for that to happen in football. You know, it it might be possible in golf or, or NASCAR or certain sports to really maintain social distancing, but not in football. I mean, it's a, it's a contact sport, so you know everybody's going to be in contact with everybody. And I think that you know that is a huge question mark because you know I I do I think you know it, it's not going to be possible to, where you can say okay. If one person has a positive test, then okay, just the people they were in direct contact with have to quarantine. The rest of the team can play. Well, you know that could be the entire team. So I, I think it's going to be challenging in that regard. I think you know from a you know a school perspective, Ohio State or any other school, you know you you have to figure out everything you can possibly do to to try to keep your players as safe as possible, but. You know that whole question of what happens when there is a positive case, and it is, it is when it is when because it's gonna it's gonna happen. I mean, it, it, you can't have a pandemic that's spanning across the entire country and and think it's realistic in any way that you're gonna get through a college football season and nobody's gonna get it. I mean, it's it, it it's it's gonna happen. There has to be a plan. I think if you are the NCAA. You're going to be watching very closely what pro sports leagues do here over the next couple of months because I do believe we're going to see more and more pro sports come back this summer before the college football season starts, and and they're going to be affected by this too. And again, whether it's MLB, NBA, NHL, whoever, they have to find ways to be able to continue on when they have a positive test, or none of this is going to be able to happen. So. I wish I had a good answer of what's going to happen because I, I, I really don't. I think that's kind of a billion-dollar question that we all have right now is how will you continue on when there's a positive test? And, you know, I think you also have to be prepared for the fact that, hey, you know, a star player might test positive at some point during the season or they might, you know, be in close contact with somebody where they need to isolate. And so I think you're going to have to be prepared for the fact that, you know, you might have – you know, star players who have to be away from a team for a couple weeks. And that's that's not necessarily like quite like anything we've ever seen before in sports, but everybody's going to have to be able to adapt here. Yeah, I don't really feel comfortable quite yet um, writing the article where I ask, like, does C.J. Stroud have to be ready in case Justin Fields gets coronavirus? Because that, like... The fact that we're even thinking about that as a realistic possibility is sort of crazy, um, but I, I mean that's sort of the world that we're living in that we have to ask these kind of questions, um, and I think that that's going to be that's going to be tough, 
and I'm that's why I'm sort of just very interested to sit back and see how the NCAA and, and conferences handle this. I'll say this much: like whatever solution they come with, <laughs> these athletes are not going to be looking like amateurs. Like the, like that's that's going to be hilarious when they're going to still try and convince us that these are amateur athletes and these. Um, and that's why they're coming back. They're coming back to for the love of the game and not for um, the money. But we can have that conversation a whole other day. But um, yeah, um, we did get a couple questions um, about about um, sort of the fact that the players are away from um, away from each other right now, and they miss spring practice. And it's sort of stuff that we hit on with, with Joshua a little bit ago. But um, Schizo asks. Which position groups do you predict um, will be the most affected by the lack of access to high-caliber training facilities, um, and which position groups are likely to be most affected by the lack of spring camp and a potentially shortened fall camp? Dan, are there any that just spring to mind right away? Yeah, I think the first one's a little bit harder to answer just because of the fact that Every player is in a different situation. So, you know, I think like the, the one that comes to mind and it's been asked about, you know, basically every time we've had a teleconference with guys is the offensive line. Yep. Because you think of that being a position where, uh, you know, weight training is so important and, you know, guys might not have access to the kind of equipment they need to be doing offensive line kind of training on their own. So I think, you know, that's one that comes to mind, but it's tough because, you know, some guys do have weights and, and some guys don't. You know, so, some guys, you know, do have space to be going out on fields and working out and some guys don't. So I don't know that you can really boil that first question down to one position group as as much as it is more just, you know, individual players. I mean, I think, I think it affects everybody to some degree. I also think there's ways that everybody, regardless of position, can work their way through it but you know there there is some realities here and you know mickey marotti talked about this some you know last week that you know they, they've had to adapt training plans for you know individuals j- just based on the amount of resources that each guy has yeah i think i think that's a correct answer because i i, I do think it's it's just tough to say that you know this position group is affected by the the lack of facilities i think offensive line maybe i would say it would be my answer too but like there's the example of matthew jones lifting milk jugs with gravel in it and harry miller's mom had told me you know right when they got back he was working with his personal trainer who trains nfl players so like everybody's everybody's at a different place working differently because that's just the way they have to do it right now um if i were to say specifically at ohio state um which is the, which are the position groups that are most affected i might i might go and look at the defensive backfield um, just because there's just so much inexperience right there that I think when you're changing position groups and you're losing three starters, I just think that that's room for that. That that obviously in my mind should lead to concern just because there's a lot of turnover right there, and you hypothetically would have also had um, Kerry Combs to come in and sort of get used to him. And sure, a lot of those guys are familiar with him, but you have to refamiliarize yourself. And I think that that would have been really important in the spring and uh, the the summer period. That you know, I don't know how long it'll necessarily be um, that this time. Yeah, I think the positions fit. Our least experience are going to be the ones 
that are most effective. I mean, you know, Joshua talked about it. It's a good thing for Ohio State that they have a returning starting quarterback because I think yeah. the, the, the teams that have inexperienced quarterbacks – that's going to be by far the biggest effect, I think. Because yeah, it's, it's that and in, in the scheme change. If you have a scheme change on either side of the ball or a quarterback who's never done it, then that's tough. And, and that's where I look at, I think him pulling out Michigan State was good. I would also throw in something like um, like uh, like Boston College. Yep. Like I, I just think Jeff Halfley, that's a tough situation to walk into when you have so much turnover there and all of a sudden you guys are supposed to go out and, and it, when he took the job, it's it hypothetically, it wasn't necessarily a rebuild. It was more of a reload. And I think that when you're supposed to reload, but you have a whole new coaching staff coming in who all of a sudden gets a truncated offseason, that's, that's tough. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, you think back to a year ago, this would have been a much more problematic situation for Ohio State a year yeah. ago than it is now when Very Ohio State had a new starting quarterback and a new head coach and five new assistants. The stability that Ohio State has overall from last year to this year is is huge. I mean, I do. I think, you know, positions like defensive back and, and defensive line and wide receiver where they are relying on more, you know, younger, inexperienced guys to step up and play big roles this year. I, I do think it's a concern not having this time, and I think you know they're going to really have to make up for lost time when you know they are able to get back on the field. But I think the overall core at Ohio State is strong enough, and you know Ryan Day always brings this up about you know the amount of reps that the backups were able to get last year because of the amount of blowout wins they had. That's certainly going to help too. That, that you know, most of the guys you're going to be counting on. I mean, they're they're counting on some guys to play much bigger roles than they ever have, but they're also not going to be counting on very many guys who just haven't played at all. Most of the guys they're going to be counting on to step up. They've seen some reps. They they they've gotten in games. Now it's just the question of are they ready to to go in there and be starters or or go in there and be guys that they can count on to play off a game on the line of a fourth quarter. Yeah, I think that that's where um, I, I would also say um, uh, the offensive line and, and quarterback, if I were to say what are the two most important positions um, on the offensive side of the ball um, in, in terms of returning veterans, I would probably say those two in this specific situation. And I think that's where Ohio State specifically set up to be successful as well because they have Justin Fields and in front of him you have Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford returning, and then your other guys in the offensive line are probably going to be Harry Miller and, and, and probably Nick Petit-Frere, though even a Paris Johnson could make a move. Um, and, like, I, w- I feel supremely confident with them. I, I mean, one of the things that um, Harry Miller's mom had told me, which didn't make it into Monday's story, was, you know, like, Harry, every time I hear about Harry Miller, I'm just impressed. Like, Harry Miller, apparently, when he was younger, did some homeschooling, but he wasn't homeschooled. Dan, he did his own homeschooling. He was leading himself through the homeschooling, and he was doing it. And he, his parent, his mom never needed to tell him to, "Hey, Harry, do this." Like Harry Miller is not Harry Miller is the kind of guy who's going to be set up to come back to Ohio State and continue to be right on the path he is. So when I think about what Ohio State's going to have at quarterback and offensive line next year, even despite this um, sort of gap, that's where I feel really good about where Ohio State's offense is going to be specifically. Yeah, Harry Miller just seems to be the the total package, yeah. both on and <laughs> that, off the field. Yeah, he he really is. It's it's every story about him is just hilarious of how how 
just decent good of a guy he is. It's like I'm looking for one person to say something even remotely negative about him, not even close to finding it yet. He's one of those guys I always think about if Urban was still the coach, that he'd be one of his John Simons or Terry McLaurins where Urban would just rave about him because yeah, he's just like got he's just got all those qualities that Urban Urban Meyer loves in a football player. Yeah, yeah. One of those where it's like just a random press conference. He's talking about, you know, the defensive backs, and he's like, you know, they need to be more like Harry Miller. <laughs> yeah. One of those. That That's definitely something that I could see from Urban Meyer. Um, we were also asked by Schizo, which areas of the team are most likely to benefit from playing without fans? E.g., is it easier for the offense to communicate plays? Will the offensive line have fewer false starts? I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's going to necessarily be easier for anybody. I think it's going to be pretty weird for everybody. But, you know, it, to that extent, I think when you talk about going on the road, I think when you talk about going on the road, it's certainly uh, it's certainly going to be an advantage for the road team, uh, especially on offense, that, that they no longer have to deal with a hostile environment and fans trying to drown out what they're saying. So I think, you know... I, I think I think it's it's certainly going to take away a lot of home field advantage that teams have because you, you you're no longer going to be able to draw you know that kind of energy you know from a full packed stadium that you typically would and so I, I think I look at it that way more than I look at it in terms of any specific position groups or areas I think you know offense is where practically um, you know you know you're going to have easier time communicating but you know i think what i just wonder too is like how is it going to change the way you have to communicate as a team because you're probably going to be able to hear what the other coaches are saying across the field if there's no fans so you're probably going to have to change up the way you communicate on things to stop teams from picking up on what you're saying yeah, I don't know if you're you're watching. I think you were watching the UFC where there were a few fighters saying that they were following yep. what Daniel Cormier was saying as the ringside announcer. And I just want you know Jeff Halfley's up there or at, at Boston College, and all of a sudden you know Joel Klatt is is talking. He's like, "Wait, Joel's got a great idea. I'm changing my defense. That's that's what that's the world I want to live in." Um, unfortunately, I don't think that uh, that'll be the case. Um, probably for the best but yeah i think it'll be i think it'll be interesting too how, how they're going to relay in plays i mean there are they're absolutely going to have to be adjustments made and i wonder if there are going to be any sort of rules and regulations maybe about how you're able to do certain things just because you know it's going to be it's going to be weird it's going to be very different and, and i do think the the ways in which they're different are going to make it maybe difficult to, to implement any sort of rule structure or, or um, telling teams this is how you have to do things because um, I just think people I, I think you're going to walk into that first game and be like wow this is even more different or this this aspect of it I just never saw coming is if it comes to that if there are no fans then uh, which I think is is that's the scenario in which I think is most likely. I just think there's going to be a lot that people aren't necessarily prepared for because you can't be prepared for it because it's something that you really haven't seen before. Yeah, and I think, you know, the reality is 
you know, everyone's going to have to adapt. For a summer, there's going to be a season. It's it's not going to be a quote-unquote normal season. There's there's going to be differences about this season. Everyone's going to have to adapt. And, you know, I think some of that stuff, I look at it and say, you know, there's probably bigger fish to fry here. I mean, I mean first and foremost, the, the focus here has got to be how can we continue playing football in a way that's, you know, as safe as it can possibly be for you know players, coaches, staff, etc. And I think that is going to be everyone's number one priority this year. At least it should be. And I think everything else, you're going to be forced to adapt. You know, based on whatever those changes are at that top level. And you know, I I, I think, and, and I think Ryan Day will do a good job with this. Uh, you know, truthfully, I, I think he might do a better job than some with this in terms of, I, I think if you're a football coach or a football player this year, you, you've got to be able to keep perspective of, you know, we're lucky if we just get to play our full schedule, if we just get to play our full schedule, you know, that's a positive with everything else that's going on in the world. So, so we've got to be we've got to be willing to adapt. We've got to be willing to roll with the punches. We've got to be willing to accept that some things are not going to be just the way we like them. And and once again, too, I think this is going to be something where pro sports are going to come back first, and colleges will probably be able to learn from that. It, I, again, I I don't know that it necessarily. Ad- you know, I think you know UFC is certainly very different than football, but I think you know I think we will see team sports, or whether that's baseball or basketball or whatever. I think we're going to see some of those come back here in the next few months, and I think you'll be able to to learn some certain things from watching those it, it, being played without fans that you know college football teams will be able to adapt for themselves and, and figure out ways around this because there's no doubt. That, it, that it's going to be different, but you know, just like anything else, it, it's going to be on the teams who adapt the best of these challenges that are going to ultimately be successful. Speaking of adapting, Ohio State adapted its running back position. Do you like that transition, Dan? You're working on it. You're, yeah, you're, you're trying to get on my level good. there. That wasn't very good, but you know, I decided I just had to. I had to go with it right there. <laughs> Um, but no, we started last week um, talking about sort of the state of position of the position series that I've been doing every Sunday. Um, this is just the second one that we did. We had quarterback last um, week and, and running back this week. Um, and I've got to say, I mean, I just think this running back situation is, is one of the most fascinating on the team, both in the short term and the long term for quite a few reasons. Um, but obviously we can start with Trey Sermon. Because I think that, you know, if we're thinking about just 2020 for a second, I don't know about you, but, like, my confidence level on him being the starter is extraordinarily high. Like, it's around 90 to 95%. I'm just – I just think that, you know, when you're a graduate transfer who's had success, ran for 2,000 yards at Oklahoma, you enter the portal, you go to Ohio State, which which has the the presumptive starter injured right now – I'm pretty confident Trey Sermon is going to start you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that, you know, I'm sure he was told you've got to compete for everything and nothing's going to be guaranteed to you. But at the same time, you're not bringing him in without telling him, 
that you are going to get the first chance to be the starting running back. That if you earn it, you are gonna, you know, we're gonna give you that opportunity. You know, you know, just like with Justin Fields, just like with Jonah Jackson. They, you know, they're not gonna admit that, but you're not bringing in a, a, a top graduate transfer at their position without giving them assurances that they're gonna have a chance to compete for the starting job. So, uh, you know, I think the opportunity is gonna be his to lose and again and 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 i'm not saying that uh, in a negative way because you wouldn't be bringing him in first of all if you didn't think he was good enough to be that and so i I do expect him to be a starter i know that offends some people who you know look at what master teague did last year and 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 think you know he's the guy who should be a starter but first and foremost we have no idea if master teague is even gonna be able to play this year i mean he, he he had an achilles injury uh, you know, I know Tough Borland came back in six months, and Justin Hilliard came back in six months, but you know, those are injuries that can sometimes take up to a year to heal from. It. So, you know, we've got to see what happens with Master Teague. You know, if he's healthy, I'm sure he's going to play, but I, I do think Trey Sermon is going to be uh, the starter either way, as long as he's healthy and as long as you know he comes in strong and and shows that he deserves it, and then. You know, I think a lot of it behind him is going to be determined by health of guys between, you know, Master Teague and Marcus Crowley. And then, you know, whether Steel Chambers can, you know, really come on and and seize an opportunity uh, to break his way into the rotation. The other aspect of of Trey Sermon that I think is, you know, at least a little interesting to me. And, and, like, I don't even really have a, a strong take on this, but... Do we know exactly what to expect from him? Like, are we sure? Do we do we know that he's just going to come in and be a really good running back? Because this is going to be a role that he hasn't really had before. He, uh, when it comes to being what I think both you and I expect, he'll be the starting running back on a national championship contending team who's expected to, to thrive beside Justin Fields and a strong passing offense behind a good offensive line. Like, what's your level of confidence that you know that Ohio State is getting a really good running back in Trey Sermon? And I'm pretty confident because I've, I've watched his film. I've watched him play against Power 5 teams, and I've watched him have success. So, you know, I think there's a lot more confidence when you're bringing in a guy that has that kind of track record versus somebody who hasn't done anything at the collegiate level. So, you know, the big question is, you know, if he's in a position now where he's got to become that bell cow back, can he be that? Can he be what J.K. Dobbins was last year? I'm not going to say that. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think Trace Herman's going to run for 2,000 yards. I also don't think he's going to be put in that position as long as Ohio State has at least one other back that it feels confident in having a significant role in the rotation. You know, certainly if Master Teague was healthy, I think he'd be that guy. But because we don't know, that does leave an unknown there about who else is going to be ready to play this year. You know, I think Marcus Crowley's a talented guy, but, you know, he's coming off an ACL injury, so we're really not sure there with him. You know, Steel Chambers is a guy who I think had a huge opportunity this spring until spring practices were cut short, you know. So I think that's unfortunate for him and unfortunate for Ohio State, where I think he's a guy... If he had had a really good spring, he could have maybe put himself in the driver's seat to have a spot in that rotation. But now he's going to just have to prove it just like everybody else going into, you know, whenever the team gets back on the field. And, you know, that's the big question mark here is, 
you really don't know exactly what you have with anybody when you get back on the field because Trey Sermon has never practiced as a Buckeye before. Master Teague is coming off an injury. Marcus Crowley's coming off an injury. Steel Chambers has barely played. Demario McCall, we still don't know what position he plays. And then Mayan Williams has yet to practice as a Buckeye. So it, it, it there's just so much uncertainty there. I, I think there's talent there. I, I think Sermon is going to do well, and I think he's going to be a good leader for the group. But there's a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered in a really short time whenever practices are able to resume. Yeah, and the reason I asked you that about Sermon is is sort of what you just said about the uncertainty everywhere. Like, if, if Trey Sermon is really good, then all those other questions about, you know, are any of these other guys ready to, to be that complimentary back with him and, and take, you know, seven, eight carries a game, are if they're not ready and, and, and Trey Sermon is good, Ohio State's going to be fine. But if Trey Sermon isn't necessarily quite as dynamic as a running back as you might hope, then I think you're going to look at those other guys and, and just be a little disappointed that um, if, of course, the big if, if they're not ready. Um, and that's the tough thing is, you know, they might all be ready. Like, for all I know, they're going to, Ohio State's going to open camp and Marcus Crowley will be healthy. Master Teague will be just getting back on the field. Steel Chambers will be pretty good. Demario will have some sort of a role. Mayan Williams with his um, weight loss and, 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 uh, sort of body change will, will be impressive as a freshman. For all I know, that might be the case. But because we don't, I sort of go back to Trey Sermon and say, you know, if he's really good, they're going to be just fine. If not, I, w- I would be a little bit worried just because there's an incredible amount of question marks otherwise in the room. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State has shown, you know, the past couple years that, you know, I think they've really navigated the transfer portal really well where they've been able, when they've had a need that they need to fill immediately, they've been able to go and get, get a guy, a really high-level guy, to, to fill that need. And I think that's what they've done with Sermon again, but you know you're always going to have you know those uncertainties until it starts. I mean, we could you know six months from now we could look back on this conversation the same way we look back on our conversations at this time last year about Justin Fields and go, what in the world were we worried about? But mm-hmm. I, I, until you know he actually does it in an Ohio State uniform, there's always going to be question marks. The other the sort of, the other aspect um, of of the sort of the state of the running back position that that's interesting to me is the long term health of this room to me is really strong because once Trey Sermon leaves and ne- after this this following year you're gonna return Master Teague Marcus Crowley Steel Chambers Mine Williams and then you're gonna add Travion Henderson um, and Ivan and Evan Pryor. And they'll all be on the roster for 2021. And hypothetically, if no one transfers, they would all be back in 2022. And then in 2023, all you lose is Master Teak. And that is a really crowded running back room to me. But if you're Ohio State, who cares? Like, that's a that, that's also a really talented running back room. Um, how optimistic in the long term are you? And, you know... In 2021 and 2022, I just think it's going to be interesting to see who pulls away. Do you have an inkling in your mind? W- w- would you call your shot on, on who you think would, would either start or, or maybe be the, the top two backs in that room? 
Well, I'll say this first of all. You're you're pretty confident that uh, there's going to be some quarterback transfers next year. I'd be pretty stunned if none of these running backs transfer at some point in the next couple of years because yeah. there's going to be a logjam at the position. I mean, you're talking about, you know, there's going to be six guys in, in, in that room next year, scholarship guys. And the, the simple reality of it is a couple guys are going to get lost in the shuffle just because there's just not – there's only one ball. Uh, there's just not going to be enough carries to go around for all these guys. And I, you know, I think you know we've talked about it for quarterbacks, but I think it's true for the running backs as well. That I think positioning yourself this year to to play next year is going to be really important because I think Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor are both the caliber of running backs that they're going to come in and they're going to compete for playing time right away. I mean, I, I looked at your depth charts that you had in your state of the position piece, and I, I'd have to say my big disagreement with it would be not having Travion Henderson or Evan Pryor in the top two by 2022. Oh, Dan, I, I think, Dan, I, I'll be honest. I had no idea what to do with those two depth charts. <laughs> I, looked, I looked at that room, and I was like, wait a sec. How in the world am I supposed to reject what the running back room is going to look like in 2022? I, I like I part part of me just wanted to project like Travion Henderson starter, but I felt like that would be dumb because Ohio State's returning five running backs that year. So I don't I don't know. I I, I just think things are going to get super crowded, and if you're not really really talented, it's going to be hard to find carries, and that's why that's why I am really optimistic because if you have five or six highly rate highly rated um experienced running backs in a room i mean you you have to imagine at least one or two of them is going to be a stud i mean at ohio state the odds are pretty high of that yeah no i mean you're right it's absolutely extremely difficult it's it's extremely difficult to see how it's going to play out the reality is nobody knows right now because there's just so much that's got to be played out there and i think you know everybody's going to get their opportunity it but you know, I think, you know, it is, I think, you know, for, for some of these guys, you know, guys like Crowley and Chambers now, you know, going into your second year, I, I think it is important, you know, whether you're, you know, in the rotation or not, to really position yourself to move up that depth chart uh, at running back. Because I do think Henderson and Pryor are both guys, when they come to Ohio State next year, are going to push for playing time right away. And I think, you know, we've talked about it some of the receivers, but it's true here as well, where, you know, if you get jumped by those guys, that might be it. I mean, that might be it for your opportunity to really play a lot at Ohio State if you get jumped by these really talented freshmen that are going to be coming in next year. So it, it, it's going to be really interesting, you know, to, to see how it goes. I mean, it's it's hard asking, you know, to call them a shot on, who, on who's going to play the most. That's hard. But, I mean, I got to say, Travion Henderson being a five-star guy, if he's not in the top two by 2022, I'd be really surprised. I think when you're a top 20 overall recruit in the country, the expectation is you're going to climb the depth chart really fast. And we saw J.K. Dobbins do that. I think I think both of those guys truly, I think Evan Pryor is really talented too. I think both of those guys truly have a chance to do that. But I'd say Henderson especially being that five five-star guy, if he doesn't really knock on the door for significant playing time in his first two years, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I'll take a step back, too. I, I just think it's funny that Ohio State managed to land 
two top 100 backs in the 21 class when if you're looking at it like right now is the time it would be great for Ohio State to have a five-star running back in its 2020 class and and you know you have Mayan Williams coming in who um, I, I talked to him back in December um, and and you know he's a I mean, he's someone, he doesn't care that people think he's a three-star running back at all. He has no care in the world about that. Um, he's just someone who likes to go out, run the ball, and hit people, essentially. Um, and, you know, I think that in time he could be solid at Ohio State, but I'm not sure that I'm ever going to project him to have the career of a, of a J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott. So, Dan, if we just sit back right right now, who who in your mind is the next J.K., the next Zeke, um, at running back, do they have him on that roster, or are you looking at that twenty-one class? I mean, I mean, you do realize you're talking about <laughs> two of the greatest running backs in Ohio State history here. To to say who's going to be the next J.K. No, 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 the- no. I no. This is where I actually push back. No, I I, I disagree. I, I get that. I get that. That's a high bar. Um, but I when you say two of the best in Ohio State history, I mean you that that list is like. 12 deep of just unbelievable running backs in Ohio State. Ohio State has had incredible running backs come through year after year. And I think that that's one of those things that, you know, I think that should be the expectation. I think Ohio State should always be looking to have that on the roster. No, they're probably not going to have an 80 catch tight end every year. But I think at Ohio State, you look for that back. And if you're like, I think that, um, I think you should always have either one on your team or, or one in your future recruiting classes. I don't think that you should go more than a f- few years without having that level of a running back on the team. I just don't. I think at Ohio State, you're you're a good enough program with a good enough history with great recruiting and great coaching. I think that you can bring that level of talent in, even though I get it. That's that's a high bar. Yeah, I mean, all, 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 all I'm saying is, I'm not saying that shouldn't be the expectation. I'm saying it's just hard to, to, to say who the next guy is. And, and, and here, here's, here's my honest answer. I, I, there's just not a running back on the roster this year that I can say I think is going to be the next J.K. Dobbins or Ezekiel Elliott. It doesn't mean they can't be, but there just isn't a guy on the roster right now that I could say has that pedigree. That I think is going to be that guy. If things had worked out differently, maybe I'd be saying Bijan Robinson would be that guy right now. But you know what? The fact that they didn't get Bijan Robinson because of what you mentioned a couple minutes ago is a reason why they're getting both Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor in 2021 because both of those guys see opportunity. Even with all these running backs on the roster, both of those guys see opportunity where they're going to be able to come in and compete for immediate playing time because even though Ohio State has all these running backs, there's not an established star among them. There's not a five-star recruit among them. And again, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think we saw some really positive things from Master Teague last year. I think Crowley and Chambers are both talented guys that I think could have really good careers. But, you know, who do I think is the most likely one of these guys to be the next J.K. or Zeke? I think that's Travion Henderson or Evan Breyer. No, I th- I, and I think that's probably that. That's who I would go with too. Um, I would go with the Travion Henderson as well. And I think that that's why when 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 people looked at that 2020 class um, and they wondered, you know, why is Ohio State struggling to land the guys they want? And and I think a lot of that sort of consternation stemmed from the fact that Ohio State has had so many unbelievable running backs over the past. Uh, decades and and it's in its history um, and um, 
I, like you, I'm just not sure that they have that guy on the roster right now. And that's where I think the Trey Sermon move was really big because, if sure, he might not be Ezekiel Elliott. But I think Trey Sermon's good. And I think Trey Sermon is sort of like Jonah Jackson last year where you know he can come in and be good, maybe really good, for one year, and then you move on and... Um, and you all of a sudden add Trayvon Henderson, Evan Pryor to a room that's one full year more experienced, and that's a that's a good running back room. I just think if they didn't have Trey Sermon right now, I'd have a heck of a lot more questions about about them. Even though if Master was healthy, they wouldn't have added him. And you know, Master at 800 rushing yards last year, I still would have had more questions because um, I mean, we could have a long Master T conversation too because I think that there are a lot of um, different opinions on him. I just think he's a fascinating player um, himself. But uh, but that's why I go back and I say that the the Trey Sermon edition was was really big at the time. Yeah, I don't think we should say with a hundred percent certainty that Ohio State wouldn't have added Trey Sermon if Master Teague didn't get hurt. Because I think there was still a question mark there. I mean, we don't know. I mean, they're obviously going to mention that now when they talk about it because that was the circumstance that happened. But you know, I I still think you would have been looking at a potential situation where you know you could you could come out of spring and have some real questions about your running back room, and and you might look to bring a guy in. Maybe maybe it's not an easy of a sell to Trey Sermon if uh, you have Master Teague who looks like he's going to be the starting running back. But you know, I think there still would have been you know reason to consider bringing a guy like that in, but. You know, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, bringing Trey Sermon was really important to this year's room. I, I would have major questions about this year's room if they hadn't been able to make that move simply because the numbers of healthy backs would just be extremely low right now. But I think long-term 2021 and beyond, I think the health of a running back room is really strong because I think you've got, like you said, I mean, you could have, you know, six guys in that room next year who could all be real candidates to play. And like I said, I don't think all six of those guys are going to finish their career as Buckeyes because, you know, guys want to play. And, and the reality is, you know, it, 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 at least two of those guys are probably going to have to transfer elsewhere if they really want to get significant playing time as college running backs. But uh, when you just look at the numbers they're going to have going into 2021, um, yeah, it's good. That's going to be a heck of a competition next year uh, to get in that running back rotation. One more thing to mention at running back, Dan, and you mentioned it just a little bit, but what in the world are we to expect of Demario McCall this year? I don't know. I really don't know, and it feels like we've been saying the same thing about him for four years now. But I, I just, I, I just don't know. I, I think slot receiver is where they like him best right now, and I thought in the one practice that. We got to see this spring. I thought he actually looked pretty good at that spot. But I also know that they want to play Garrett Wilson in the slot, and they've got you know, you know, know, at least a few other guys there, and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Mookie Cooper and, and maybe C.J. Saunders, who could also fit into that mix there. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think he's more likely to contribute at slot receiver than at running back at this point. Maybe... You know, maybe there'll be that role of a third down back for Demario, where he could be kind of a, a passing game specialist out of a backfield. But I was talking about that at this time last year, and it really didn't happen. That might have just been because J.K. Dobbins was so good. And maybe this year, 
you know, with Trey Sermon uh, maybe not being quite that three-down guy and some of the other questions, maybe this year they make it happen. And I think you you, know, you got to try to make it happen because this is it for him. But it's just it's just hard for me to set any real expectations for him when we've been talking about him as this potential breakout player for three years and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I didn't know even whether to include him with the wide receivers or the running backs. I mean, I just picked running back just because that's what they list him on the official roster. But even back in the spring, the practices that we saw, he was practicing with the slot wide receiver. So I legitimately... He's a fifth-year senior. I don't even know what position he's going to play. I have no idea how he factors in. It's one of the most unbelievable things ever. I mean, it's not that this guy is a lowly recruited guy who's never found his way. This is Demario McCall we're talking about. Like, we've been doing this for years and years and years, and I still can't believe that we have basically no answers. And he's probably, you know, one of the best athletes on the entire roster, and we're talking about an Ohio State team that's loaded with elite athletes. But this is a really explosive, you know, shifty guy that you would think, you know, could, could be a real weapon for the offense if they find a way to get him out there. But that just hasn't materialized yet. And, you know, I think that's twofold. I think that's one because I think the coaches ha- haven't committed to playing him at one spot and they've bounced him back and forth and they just haven't figured out the right role for him. I'm sure that's also because there's just things, whether it's blocking, whether it's route running, whatever it is, I think there's things that they've been waiting to see from him that they, at least before this year, still hadn't seen yet. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, it, you know, this it, it's a weird situation for him to be entering as a fifth-year senior. And the reality is it's he's got one year left to either finally find his role and break out and, and start to become the player that people thought he could be for years now. Or his career is just going to end quietly. That would be unbelievable if his career ended quietly, given the fact that you know he's uh, we, we've done this much talking about him. But I hope to do more talking about him in the fall because you know there's no one more interesting to talk to than Demario. Even though I'll be honest, if we had an interview with him right now, it would be the same interview that we've done the last four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has gotten asked a lot of the same questions. I know commenters have complained about the same story being written about him several times because uh, it's kind of been the same thing for him every single year but uh well we'll see if we'll see if the outcome is finally different than the question going into his final year as a buckeye some other news and notes that we wanted to hit um jaylen gill i just figured we should mention this first since uh he decided to transfer to Boston College and announced that on, on Tuesday afternoon. And he is going to rejoin Jeff Halfley there. Yeah, well, it kind of goes along with what we were just talking about with Demario McCall because here's another guy who was a highly recruited Urban Meyer H-back type that's kind of gotten phased out of the offense. And while Demario had decided to stick it out and uh, you know hope that his role is going to finally come along this year, Jalen decided, you know, he, he wanted to go somewhere else, and and and, and truly, I don't I don't blame him. He, he he didn't play much his first two years at Ohio State, and you know, he it again because of that log jam we just talked about at slot receiver. It was hard to see exactly what his role was going to be this year, and I think going to BC could be a really good spot for him because, I mean, he's probably going to be the best athlete on the team immediately because BC just isn't getting the kind of five star and high four star athletes 
that Ohio State is on a regular basis. And, you know, he unless he gets a waiver, he's going to have to sit out for a year. But I think, you know, certainly you look ahead to 2021. I think that's a, that's a place where he's going to have a chance to be a big impact player, a focal point of that offense. Certainly some familiarity with Jeff Halfley, which I imagine played a huge role in his decision to transfer to Boston College. And, you know, and you're in, you're in a power conference. You, you know, you're, 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 you're still going to be playing Clemson and you're going to be playing uh, some other, you know, marquee teams. And, you know, for someone like Jalen, who certainly, you know, physically has the potential to be an NFL player, uh, you know, to be, to be able to stay in the power five, yet go somewhere where he, he's going to have an opportunity to most likely play a lot more, you know, that could work out really well for him. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's just fun too. I mean, when you're a really good athlete going to a team that you're probably the most athletic player on it, like I think of like it's he's not going to be this good, so it's an unfair comparison. But I still think of like a Rondale Moore situation where you know Rondale is pretty clearly the best player at Purdue by a by a pretty wide margin, the best athlete there, and he gets the ball a ton, and he is the focal point of everything that Purdue does. And no, I don't think Jalen Gill is going to be that level of player for, for Boston College. But I think that that's the kind of situation that like Boston College can sell him on because like Purdue, um, and, and like you said, they're, they're in a Power 5 conference. They're facing good competition still. Um, and I will be... Um, I'll, I'll be fascinated to see how he does because, you know, the transfer, you know, it made sense when it happened um, because, like you said, the, the, the H-back has sort of been phased out a little bit of the offense in favor of the slot receiver. And to be honest, the transfer destination made sense a lot to me. Um, so, you know, wish him the best. And, we, and we've seen this be a pretty, a pretty much a trend recently of transfers where it seems like a lot of these guys have been going to – to play for former Ohio State assistants. We saw Brendan White go to Rutgers. Uh, we saw a couple guys, uh, Blue Smith, Garen Prater, go to Cincinnati last year. So we've seen a lot of these transfers uh, kind of staying within the extended family and, mm-hmm. and going to play with guys that that have Ohio State ties. Yep, yeah. No, it, it, it is the case. It, it's actually funny. It's sort of the opposite of Ohio State basketball, which has landed over the past couple of years some transfers that they were recruiting once upon a time who they lost out on and then they managed to to land eventually as as uh, transfers from other programs. Well, speaking of Ohio State basketball, Chris Holtman got his first commitment for 2022 last week from Bowen Hardman, shooting guard from Cincinnati. Uh, certainly seems like his... Uh, shining skill is his ability uh, to shoot the ball but what else is he going to bring to the Buckeyes no he is um shooting is definitely the number one thing that that comes with him I'll still remember so last last summer back when you know you were allowed to walk out of your house um I was at the the team camp that Ohio State holds every summer which is essentially a bunch of teams mainly from Ohio go to the shot um and play either on, on the like in the in the arena or in the practice gems, you know, there's three, four games, five games going at a time. And I still remember watching his his first game. And I I, he, I remember he gets the pass. It's, it's just after the game tips off, gets the pass, um, crossover, jumper. And I was like, this is the most beautiful jumper I've ever seen. I don't know who this is, but I'm in on him. And the funny thing is about him, too, like you look at him. I mean, like he looks really young. 
and you know he wears the glasses and you know he's it's he's he doesn't look like out there he's a killer on the court but like he is a he's a dynamic offensive player I think and in my mind I mean I I love the way that he shoots the ball I mean I think that he's he's the kind of guy who could potentially be a a 40% three-point shooter in college Um, but he's not to me someone who's just a stand in the corner three-point shooter I think that that's definitely important for um, Ohio State going forward Um, and He's not. He's not. A, he's not. A, he's not crazy athletic, but he moves pretty well. Um, he can. I, I think he's smart when he plays. I think that that's something that stands out to me. Um, and I think that when I when I imagine what he needs to get better at, it's it's defense and getting stronger. But you know, he's in the class of 2022. He's got 18 more months till he can sign, and, and two years until he can even really step on campus. So there's a lot of time to. To, to improve in that area, and I think someone like Michi Johnson, last um, the in the in the 2021 class who uh, committed last summer, I think he's someone who has gotten a lot stronger since he's committed, and and that's why you know if that's an area that that Bowen Hardman needs to improve in, um, that's why I'd feel pretty confident in him going forward. I, I just really like this as, as a get too because he's an Ohio kid and um, in a class in 2022 that's going to be really Ohio heavy in my mind. I think the state's about as talented as it's been in, in many years in, in that class and, and it's up to Ohio State and Chris Holtman to take advantage of that and, and right now this is it's a good first step. And I think too one thing we talked about with Holtman when we had him on a couple weeks ago um, you know, it's just kind of about, you know, recruiting the right guys for his team. And, you know, obviously transfers have been a big storyline for the Buckeyes this offseason, the past couple mm-hmm. off seasons. But uh, what about Bowen as a person do you think makes him the right fit? for what Chris Holtman's trying to build at Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, as a person, he's really everything that you want. I mean... It- it's he. It's not that I have known him for for many many years, but in talking to to people around him, and talking to those within Ohio State, and talking to him specifically, when talking to him, he's just a he's a caring, family first guy who is really competitive when he's on the court. But he he's he's just a happy go lucky guy too. And I think that he's someone who really appreciates that he's from Ohio. He's someone who it was also he told me it was ultimately going to be Ohio State or Cincinnati. And he just fell in love with Ohio State's coaches, and specifically Chris Holtman. And like he told me, his his father died two years ago, and he said he, he saw many of the same qualities in Chris Holtman that, that he saw in his, his dad, who was also a, a basketball coach in, in Cincinnati, um, where he's from. And, you know, I think that that's, that's one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that, that Ohio State landed a commitment from him. And, um, like, personality-wise, I just... Like people are gonna rave about him, and and he's he's really young still, but there's a reason why why people like him as a person. It's just because he's genuine, he's hardworking, he's he's sort of everything that you want in in, in a in a college basketball player to, to build around, especially when you're when you're doing it the way that that Chris Holtman does, and you're not getting a bunch of one and dones. You're trying to build from within. You're trying to to have multi-year players who who develop into really good productive veterans. Saw a video on Twitter, I believe it was on Monday, of 
Cameron Babb that his mom posted. And we'll talk more about the wide receivers next week in the next installment of our State of a Position series. But just watching that video, uh, looked like he was running around really well. Looks like he might finally be healthy. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, this spring, he, you know, we don't know if he would have been able to come back at all this spring because practices were cut short. But, you know, I think when you think ahead uh, to whenever the team is allowed to return, that's another guy that I think everyone's going to be really eager to see, you know, what he's able to do because somebody who, uh, you know, much like Johnny Dixon a few years ago, you know, starting his career off with, you know, back-to-back knee injuries, hasn't yet been able to play at Ohio State, but a guy who was a top 100 recruit out of high school, a guy I don't think we talk about very much with the receivers just because of all the unknowns of his health, but a guy who has the talent that if, if he can get healthy and stay healthy, could be a factor in, in Ohio State's offense. Yeah, he's going to fly way under the radar. He already has flown way under the radar. Um, I think the first good sign that, that you saw from him was, I don't remember the exact name of it, but there was a list of players who had impressed in winter workouts um, yep. that, that Mickey that had impressed Mickey Marotti in winter workouts, and he was one of them. And I think that that was a good first sign that you know he's, he's taking strides to get back to where he is. And then I remember... Um, at the end of winter workouts, they all take photos in front of a motorcycle, usually with their shirts off, which Cam Babb had. And you look at him and you're like, who is that guy? Because he was pretty ripped. Um, and, I mean, physically, when you look at him, like, he's an impressive, he's an impressive shape. The, the, the unknown, and which, which, you know, It'll be unknown until we can really see him make a consistent impact on the field. Is 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 that injury? Is that knee? Both knees, really. And um, you know, that's 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 just it, it's just so tough because I mean, I think back to the fall when I talked to his high school coach for a story about Cameron Brown, his high school teammate, who's obviously a cornerback at Ohio State as well, and he was just telling me how Cam Babb is like the favorite player, his favorite player he's ever coached. Like he's just that good of a person as well. Um, so he's got a lot of people rooting for him, and you know, hopefully that that knee can can you know s- stay healthy because ultimately I think that that's the one thing that's going to hold him back. Because people, when they talk about him as a talent, they're really impressed. It's just that injury history that's tough. Another thing we learned this past week is that Nate Meyer wants to join the family business. Urban Meyer's son. W- he started his, his career at Cincinnati as a baseball player. Now he's walking on to the football team with Luke Fickle, uh, of course, the former Urban Meyer assistant who's now the head coach at Cincinnati. He's going to walk on the team as a wide receiver, and he's doing so because he wants to follow in his father's footstep and ultimately become a coach himself someday so i think naturally now the speculation is going to start about are we ever going to see nate meyer on the sidelines uh coaching at ohio state someday i mean what are the odds on that like 85 <laughs> percent like i'm pretty confident in that <laughs> like whether it be as just a ga which is sort of what i imagine or you know if things go really well and he comes back as a position coach i don't know but yeah no i <laughs> When 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 that when it's Urban Meyer's son, who is all of a sudden gonna go walk on to to Cincinnati's football team and become a coach? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm just pretty high on his his long term potential, man. Yeah, I mean one thing we know about coaching is 
connections are huge. And yes. I, I mean, I mean, bluntly, we, <laughs> we Corey saw. Dennis. We, yeah. yeah, exactly. We saw of Corey Dennis, but the reality is, and this is nothing against Corey Dennis's coach, but the reality is, if he was not Urban Meyer's son-in-law, he would not be Ohio State's quarterbacks coach right now. He would have he would have had to go elsewhere and gain more experience before he would have been a quarterbacks coach at Ohio State. So there is no doubt that being Urban Meyer's son, that having that Meyer family name is going to get his foot in the door of it. You know, it, it, it's it's getting him an opportunity right now. I mean, I don't, I, I mean I'll be honest. I've, I've never seen Nate Meyer play football. I, I have no idea whether uh, his game would translate to being a, a Cincinnati walk-on caliber player I, if his I, dad I, wouldn't or Meyer. I think, I think Luke Fickle had said he sits foot 175. Um, that's not particularly large. Yeah, Luke Fickle, he talked to uh, Pete Famel from Yahoo Sports about uh, Nate joining the team. And, I mean, he didn't create any delusions that Nate was likely to come in and, and play much. You know, and he's he's going to mostly be there to do scout team work and, and, and to learn uh, more about the game. But... Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you you know get that foot in the door, I mean, he's already there. I mean, yeah, he's gonna have an opportunity after he's done in Cincinnati to go be a GA somewhere, and he's gonna have his opportunity to get that experience and climb up the ranks again because his dad is Urban Meyer, and that's the thing anyway. Thing away from him, I I would think being raised by Urban Meyer, you you are gonna have an advantage as a as a coach that. You know, you're going to have this first-hand experience of having been on the sidelines with your dad for all these years. You've seen things that most people who are going into coaching have not seen. And so inherently, that's just going to give you a leg up uh, in terms of building your career and becoming a coach and hopefully being on the fast track to moving your way up the ladder. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just indisputable, and I'm interested to see how it goes. You know, obviously every single time that anyone mentions Nate Meyer, they're going to mention Urban Meyer, and that'll be the case for the next three, four decades until he can actually establish himself as a college football head coach, which is a high bar to reach. But that's what that's what it's like when it's Urban Meyer as your father. Is there's a there's quite a quite a quite a large amount of uh, expectations. Yeah, I mean, even Corey Dennis is not going to be able to shake for Urban Meyer as his father-in-law until he becomes much more established yeah. as a coach. And, you know, he's only been a relative of Urban Meyer for a few years. So uh, it is a big thing to shake. Got a few questions. Or wait, do you want to hit on the results of our recruit draft real quick? Well, we gotta because I I, I did. I checked the results just before we came on the show. I, I, I did get a slight victory over Colin. I had 45.8%. Colin had 44.5%. I think that's about what what I was expecting. I, I thought it was going to be a really... There, at one point, it was tied between me and Colin with like hundreds of votes in. So it was a really close race between us. Zach, however, getting only 9.7% of a vote. I, I can't say that I'm surprised by that. I think we kind of surmised last week that... Zach's team uh, might have a little trouble competing with ours. You know, the best part about Zach is, you know, he might see that nine percent, but he, but he, he, w- he still wants that game to be played. Zach, Zach's got a J.K. Dobbins mentality. Like he's got that chip on his shoulder. Like if if you're doubting Zach, 
uh, that's just going to give him more fuel to the fire uh, for his team. So uh, I will take my slight victory over Colin, though I think we're going to have to uh, do some other drafts as this year year progresses because that's a that's a really that's a really close margin. We almost need to do a runoff to really determine a victor in that one yeah no i I appreciate how many uh accounts that you made to make sure dan that you would win (laughs) i i promise you i only voted once okay yeah this is me this is me this is me this is me believing you dan i I promise you i only voted once okay all right now 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 he's got fighting words now (laughs) now i'm not going to give him any credit if he's gonna accuse me of cheating Listen, Jeez. listen, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I also probably had a few family members vote, so that might yeah, even make it. I don't closer. think my family members even knew it existed, so. Sad. <laughs> I would like to think that, I would like to think that it was organic and, and driven by the strength of my Jack Sawyer and Paris Johnson draft picks, but. I regret not taking Jack Sawyer, so if it makes you feel better, Dan, there you go. Well, yeah, you regretted it when you knew that my strategy wasn't to take Kyle McCord with yeah, my next pick. Yes, exactly. 100%. That's exactly why. Well, thanks, everyone, for uh, listening in last week and, and casting your votes uh, for me or for Colin or for Zach or whoever. And I know Colin and I are planning to do at least one more draft at some point this summer, so uh, you'll have your chance to weigh in again on that as well. Now, question time. A few of them, which we can run through a little quickly. They're they're all off topic, <laughs> um, as is usually the case when it's May and there's no football yes. actually happening. Yeah. Now we'll start with this one from Silver Sniper. If you were to get a face tattoo, an actual one, not a freckle or a tiny teardrop, a legit face tattoo. I like how specific he's being. What would you get? First of all, I really appreciate Silver Sniper because. He, he just imagines to come up with wackier questions each and every week. So I really appreciate you you coming up with these questions. I mean, I'll say this. There are a hell of a lot of things I would do before I would ever get a face tattoo. Uh, So I really hope that it never comes to this because uh, I think just about anybody looks ridiculous with a face tattoo, but I think I can speak for both Colin and I, that either one of us would look absolutely ridiculous with a face tattoo but Watch yourself, I don't know I, I don't know I've uh I don't know I've answered Led Zeppelin to questions before so I'm gonna go with the Led Zeppelin logo you know the, the logos for each of the guys I do something like that I mean I have literally no good answer to this one I mean I <laughs> yeah. might I'll rep Cleveland give me some sort of Cleveland um um logo and I'll and I'll go with that but yeah, no, you're probably not going to catch me with a face tattoo. I, I don't know that that's... You're not going to catch me with any tattoo because I hate needles, but um, face tattoo's probably not number one on my list either. If any of you have Photoshop skills out there and, and want to design us with face tattoos, go for it because that's the closest that I think either of us are ever going to come to actually having face tattoos. Silver Sniper, another question, asks, when it's all said and done... And you put the mic and laptop away forever and right off into the retirement sunset. Will you let down your wall of objectivity and finally be able to root for a college football team? And I must say to that, Silver Sniper, I'm not very objective when it comes to West Virginia. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not particularly objective with the Mountaineers. And if they ever played Ohio State, that would be a little tough for me. 
Yeah, I was going to let you answer that one first because I think I think he was directing that question to me most likely because uh, I think we already knew your answer there uh, was West Virginia that you are not objective toward uh, your Mountaineers. You know, you know, for me, uh, well, first of all, I, I don't really ever see myself ever putting the laptop away forever. But uh, in, in terms of, you know, if I ever decided not to be a, a sports writer anymore or, or retired, you know, I, I, that's a really good question. And it's one I honestly think about myself because I think it just changes you when you're in this business to where it's not it's not an on-off switch. It's not like I just suddenly decided one day I'm – I'm never going to be a fan of a team again. It's just that you just start to look at the game differently when you're, you know, covering a team rather than, you know, rooting for a team. So I I don't, you know, I I know I've seen plenty of sports writers who uh, they leave the industry and then they just go right back into being a full-throated fan. Um, I don't know if that would be me. Um, you know, in terms of who that team would be, I mean, that's again, also a tough question. You know, I mean, I mean, I'll be, I'm not going to be disingenuous. I am, you know, I'm an Ohio state alum. So, you know, that would be the natural tie for me, but you know, I didn't grow up as an Ohio state fan. I grew up in Massachusetts and I really didn't have like a team that I really, uh, consistently cheered for in college football growing up. And I don't really have any other, uh, substantial ties to college football teams, though I know, I know if you polled people in our Slack, a lot of them would say I'm a Clemson fan because I covered Clemson and I tend to, I tend to defend Dabo against the Ohio State fans who hate him. So um, that might be what they would say. But uh, you know, for me, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just ever since I've gotten into sports journalism, I don't really root for teams the same way that I I once did. But if I, you know wasn't writing about sports anymore and just had the freedom to do whatever I want, maybe that would come back. It's just, it's just hard. It's hard for me to say without actually being in that position because I've been in this position for long enough now that it just feels more natural to, to be objective. I mean, just come join me as a West Virginia fan. The backyard brawl <laughs> returns in 2022. This is a good time to jump on the bandwagon. What if I become a pit fan? And this podcast ends right now. <laughs> Colin will never talk to me again if I become a pit. Fan. Oh yeah, no, not a chance. It's like Ohio State, Michigan, right there, but better. That that's that, fighting words for some. <laughs> that, that, that see, that's me. gonna. Yeah, that's said, that, that that silences me starting to run away from the computer from all the uh, the hate mail. That's gonna get that's gonna get you in trouble right there. I know, right? We have, Final question yeah. for this week came from some guy named Kevin Harris. Never never heard of him before. No, that's our that's our colleague at 11 Warriors and he asked us a fun question. You have to face a trial by combat with any current Buckeye player. Who would you choose to go against in a fight to the death and who would you least like to face? Have you given this a lot of thought, Dan, because I have. I've given it some thought. Okay. I've given it some thought. We'll go we'll go one by one. Let's start off with who you would most like to face because um, I think this is it, it's not who you want to beat up <laughs> it's who you think that you could handle and I just went to the roster page and I clicked on weight 
and I went all the way down to the bottom so that I could find the lightest players on the team. Is is that a similar way that, that you went about this, Dan? I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm going to pick a kicker because I think that's the one that has the least chance of completely obliterating me. I mean, I'll, I mean... I expect that any player on the Ohio State football team could kick my ass if I'm being honest, because yeah. they're all strong. <laughs> they're all stronger than me. They're all tougher than me. I mean, even even the walk-ons and specialists, they're they are much physically tougher than I am. So in in a in a physical fight, I, I'm pretty confident I would lose to literally any player on the Ohio State football team. But you know, if I'm going to take my chances against somebody, I'm probably going to pick one of the kickers because I think that that uh, would probably be uh, my best chance. And that's no offense to those guys. That's an extremely reasonable answer. Me personally, I just took the, the specialist out of it because I, f- I felt like I might be, I felt like that would be too, I felt like that would be too easy for me. I felt like I might actually have some competition there. I wanted to pick a position player, um, and I went with a player who I am taller than and outweigh, and I don't know that I've got anything else on them, but I've got those on them, and to me, that at least gives me a fighting chance, and that's DeMario. Wow. That's... <laughs> that would be that would be something. That would be I would quite a sight I to would see. I would lose in a minute instead of fifty <laughs> seconds. So that's where that's why that's why I chose him because you know I'm taller than him. I weigh more than him, and I would take it would take sixty seconds instead of fifty seconds for him to to beat me up. Now 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 we need the photoshoppers to do the UFC tale of a tape with Colin versus Demario McCall with the. Height and weight and reach. Yeah, I think I think I've got him on that. It's just if you want to go on, if you want to add the record there, that would be where I would have the problem. If you want to add the, you know, ex- experience playing a contact sport at a high level, Demario De might have. <laughs> or if you want to add like the betting odds on that, because yes. that would be minus <laughs> f- what, like four hundred thousand, Demario. Yeah, I would, I would lose, so. but. But I guess if you're going to make me pick someone, I think that's who I would pick just because I've got the height and weight advantage. The other ass, the other part of the question that Kevin asks, who would you least like to face? And I don't know about you, but I've got a list of nine guys. So you, you go ahead. I want to see if, you, if your guy or, or guys are, are on my list. Uh, I want the opposite of what you just did on that one. My, for me, it's got to be DeWan Jones. <laughs> well, he's on, yeah, he's on yeah, my I mean, list. <laughs> I mean, 6'8". 360. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I I would have absolutely no chance. Uh, so it, it's got to be Dewan. I mean, any, anybody that big and powerful and yet athletic a, as he is, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just say this: I ain't messing with anybody whose nickname is Big Thanos. No, I mean that's a that is a very strong point by you. Um, he was also on my list. And I think that there there are a few ways that I was thinking about this. So I put Josh Myers on there with Wyatt Davis as well because, you know, those are just big behemoths who are pretty athletic and they can move and they're super strong and that wouldn't go well for me. Um, I also had Baron Browning and Taraja Mitchell on there because I feel like, you know, that's one of those where I would lose in four seconds because they would just run across to me, grab me, and, like, throw me 40 yards into a trash can. Like, they're, they're just – I feel like that's how that would go for me. Um, 
Paris Johnson was on there for me because if you look at his his high school highlight tape, I would be one of those defensive linemen that he picks up and throws into the second row. I would be one of those guys. So like I had to put him on there. Um, Zach Harrison's on there just because that sounds horrifying. Um, but I think the ultimate pick for me is going to be Tommy Togiai because. I mean, he's the strongest player on the team. Everybody says so. And he's also pretty fast. And I'm not even sure how you would even begin to go about winning that one. I mean, that one would be he would just crush me in any way he wanted to. I mean, if we're talking about picking me up and throwing me into a dumpster, uh, I, I don't doubt his ability to do that. We should have brought our colleague Jake Anderson on for this one to talk about his experiences of playing football against Josh Myers. Yeah, they went about uh, as, as they probably went worse than getting thrown into a dumpster, to be honest, the way that he tells it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't think it really went too well for many people who played Josh Myers in high school, because honestly, it hasn't even gone very well for, for most guys that have played him in college. Yeah, no, I'll say that there's no correct answer. You could pick just about anybody on the the team, and uh, they'd be, um, they could whip my ass. And your yeah, I mean, there's and there's probably there's probably a few people on the beat who would stand a fighting chance, but it ain't either of us. No, 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 not not at all. It's not in it, and and it's not Kevin either. But uh, we (laughs) we thank Kevin for asking us the question. (laughs) No, no, although I would like to see that. I, I would just like to see uh, Ohio State beat writers fight to the death. That would be really entertaining. I don't know that I'm allowed to say my answers here about that one, but no, uh, I'll say well, this. I'll say this one. It would be the opposite. I would have a lot of answers on who I could, um, <laughs> who who I'd like to fight most because I would, uh, you know, I would feel, I would like my chances on on a few of them, but. Um, well, we can save those for another other day. Yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be just an ugly, ugly fight. Yeah, no one would want to watch those. In general, no, no, unless you want to laugh. Yes, it'd probably, it'd probably be pretty funny. It would. It would. It would. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Hopefully, we entertained you with our conversation this week, and uh, you know. Hopefully, uh, we'll continue to have some more positive momentum toward a football season, and uh, we'll be able to keep talking about that and, and get ready to watch the Buckeyes play this fall. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and we'll talk to you again soon.